Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 117. Speak and Destroy is the podcast featuring interviews about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Donald Tardy, drummer for Floridian death metal legends and pioneers obituary. And let me just say, before we get into this episode, Happy New Year. It has been almost a shockingly long time since I've been on any sort of schedule putting out podcasts with regularity. You know, I'm the person where people kept asking me, when are you starting a podcast? This was back in like 2016. And instead of starting one, I started three, uh, four for there for a while. I was co-hosting one with a friend. And uh, gosh, now with a couple of uh, series that I do with NotFest, which are primarily video-based, but also have an audio component, um, I guess there's five. But here's what's going to happen in 2023. At least this is what I'm planning. Is to start getting these things out there with some reliability and regularity. This is the first Speaking Destroy episode in six or seven months. I haven't posted an episode of No Prize from God in about two years. I have several of those in the bank. I just got to get them edited and out there. There's also Pop Curse, the podcast, where musicians talk about movies. And this episode of Speaking Destroy actually originated... Uh, from a conversation I had with both Donald Tardy and his brother John, of course, the singer for Obituary, for a series I do for NotFest called The Disc Dive. Now, The Disc Dive is where I get together with an artist, or in that case, two, and talk about every single studio album in their discography. I've done episodes with Andy Biersack from Black Veil Brides, Miles Kennedy from Alter Bridge and Slash, Todd LaTorre from Queensryche, Blothar from Guar, Neil Fallon from Clutch, Brandon Soller from Atreyu, Thomas England from Evergrey, Billy Howardell from A Perfect Circle, Spencer Chamberlain from Under Oath, the guys from Twisted, Ace Fraley from Kiss, Caleb Shomo from Beartooth, and we talk a bit about every single record. It's a lot of fun. It is a dive into their discography. I have the Tardy Brothers on to talk about Obituary, all of their records including classics like Slowly We Rot, Incomplete, World Demise, Cause of Death. I mean, every single obituary record got its due in that conversation, including, of course, 2023's Dying of Everything. In that conversation, it occurred to me that either one of those guys would be a fantastic guest for Speaking Destroy. And I was not wrong. I got back on with Donald and we had a super fun conversation about Kill 'Em All, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and Justice for All, Black Album, Load, Reload. So this is a guy who discovered Metallica when Kill 'Em All was a new record. Super fun. Super sweet guy. Great conversation. A great way to kick off a new year of Speaking Destroy episodes. I do have some in the bank. I do have plenty planned. So if you were surprised to see this pop up in your podcast feed. Hopefully, it won't be such a surprise next week-ish. I would encourage you also to check out my other podcasts, if you're not familiar. No Prize from God, featuring conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. Pop Curse, where musicians talk about movies. And The Disc Dive, over with my friends at NotFest.com. If you like this podcast, you know what to do. Give it a five-star rating and a nice little review. Those really do help. You can follow me on all sorts of different social media platforms as well as the show. The best place to keep up with me is ryanjdowney.com. The best place to keep up with the podcast and find all the socials is speakingdestroy.com. There is a Patreon which features a bunch of bonus episodes from my interview archives. Conversations with people like Glenn Danzig the mighty Kirk Hammett and other Metallica, Metallica adjacent folks from over the years that are not part of the main public feed. I've got more stuff to put in there too. So thanks as always for checking this out and supporting this show. There's a lot of Metallica shows on the books right now coming up. I had an opportunity to see them at the all within my hand show that they played in December in Los Angeles. It was killer. 
And I definitely plan to see them ASAP again this year. So here it is, my conversation with Donald Tardy of Obituary. This is Speak and Destroy. reality and the, the obvious answer to that is the year i mean it, it was so long ago we were all so young because they they were just a bit older than all of us and obituary has been around for <laughs> you know 35 years and to say that i was just a child when it entered my brain is is uh, it just goes to show the, the magnitude and the, the epic etched in the brain of of the of the musician of the young child wanting to be band member uh for myself and of course it was uh it was kill them all and I, I remember it like it was yesterday you know i remember the album cover the vinyl thinking that's just absolutely amazing and i need to know what what i'm gonna hear just by the album cover and of course, just the, the minute you put the needle down and you heard hit the lights, I thought I thought that could have could have been the coolest song I've ever heard in my life. Still one of my favorite songs ever. It's what I wanted to do as a guitar player, even though I was a drummer. I think I air guitared to <laughs> to, to hit the lights, no solos, more than any song ever. So it it was it was what made you dream about being a rock star. And now what was this? I, I was probably 12. I, I, if it was 81, I guess, I don't even remember the year, but I know that I was just a child, but I already knew what I wanted. I was already a drummer for a while because I started drumming when I was very young, seven, eight years old. I was already really into it and banging on everything. I'm driving my mom crazy. But uh, by, by 82 or so I knew right, thanks to, kill them all that th this is what i want this is what i'm going to do i want yeah. to perform and i want i want to rock i think it was actually the band started in 81 and i think kill them all was 83 okay but, uh, but yeah somewhere in there uh well, yeah do you remember how you discovered it did you just see the album cover at a record store or well i mean we're, we're talking 83 so my brother and i were obviously living with my mom my parents and uh trevor was just down the road uh, a bicycle ride away <laughs> and we and we were already discovering music together you know before kill em all it was iron maiden the, the the vinyl he had when i would drive, ride my bike to his house was iron maiden judas priest black sabbath and when he would come to my house it was southern rock it was the leonard skinners and the outlaws blackfoot charlie daniels along with Led Zeppelin, Queen, Ted Nugent. So we were in, really already into music at a really, really young age. But it was it was Metallica and, and Kill Em All that we, I couldn't ride my bicycle to his house fast enough when he said he's got a copy of, of Metallica. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. just, it was just so, it was so exciting. So yeah. it was, it was, uh, you know, the, and, and you can ask a thousand musicians that are in, our genre our genre our style of music our age group that was the album for me that it literally turned the lights on and and uh like i said that that the way that album started <laughs> my god so brutal and in every song every song was absolutely perfection i love it and that's the uh, i mean you really just hit the nail on the head for the whole reason to etra for the the podcast and the thing that's fascinating is you know you and i are 
are closer in age than um, you know some guests that I've had on, and it uh, it never ceases to amaze me having different guys at different generations and people that are in bands and everything on the podcast, and hearing things like uh, you know load and reload, or or in some cases death magnetic, or even saying anger, where it's like that was the right. first thing they got. Yeah, changed their life, and you know, of course, they went back and discovered the other stuff. But um, yeah. the first couple of times that happened, it was sort of shocking. And then as I kept, you know, forward doing the podcast, it's like, man, it really is. Um, there's something about this band where it has been this universal experience at all yeah. eras of it that it it's like this gateway drug. Yeah, <laughs> and, and again, it goes back to um, how ancient, <laughs> how ancient <laughs> it is, and that's saying it in a good way because they yeah. are. They are still the kings and uh, still putting out music, still healthy and happy, it seems. And uh, that's awesome. As we're recording this episode, they just released a song that sounds probably the most like Kill 'Em All of anything they've released since Kill 'Em All. It's I agree very, 100%. Right? Yeah. It's very new wave of British heavy metal. Very it really is. Head. That's very uh, that's very exciting and promising. And, and uh, now, we're, now we are all eager to hear this this new album, which is great. Yeah, totally. So at the time, you know, all of those great Southern rock bands you mentioned that you were listening to and all the metal stuff that you were sharing with your neighbor, what was it about this record and this band? Because it certainly was very different, right? Like you knew this was a metal band and the guys had long hair on the back. But when you're thinking about your maidens and your priests and these bands that were very theatrical and had these larger than life images, yeah. uh, you know, something about these guys, right? It was just like, these are just like punks like these are they look like yeah. kids you know i mean again it, it, it again you know trevor was just down the road from me so we, we both were becoming a band together we were both into iron maiden and into sabbath and into ozzy and ronnie james dio and it, when, when when you heard metallica for me it was headfield and just how awesome how awesome he was at such a young age not just his voice because his voice was killer on that record but uh also his chops his guitar chops and just yeah. how killer the guitar tone is at such an early time for for kill em all and just the just that songwriting i mean you can name any song off that record and it's it still holds holds up right now it's still in, just unbelievable i mean it doesn't matter what song and again it's just his performance on the on the album and I, you know, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I read, I'm no expert, but that was James's baby. And that is James's uh, rhythm guitar playing skills and chops and just absolute shredding. And then, and then his voice and his attitude and just his electricity, electricity coming out of his body for that record was just, uh, they, they, they set a bar super high for all those bands you know you yeah. you, you you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to try to compare the iron maidens and the lear jets and arenas and this and that yet because metallica was still um new and mm. and young and haven't quite gotten anything yet and proved anything yet but they certainly proved it immediately the minute they put their foot down on the metal ground they 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 uh they were they were there and you knew it yeah absolutely and yeah you mentioned that rhythm guitar playing I and mean, that comes up a lot in conversation on here the uh the right hand of headfield as i like to say uh there's yeah. just you know something about just the power the precision the attack uh that is really unmatched yeah it's crazy flawless i mean and again you you can imagine if that came out in 83 so they were writing it in probably 81 and 82 in the studio and this and that so you know put how 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 what his age was what kind of guitar and amp they were using and that and the technology they had in those studios and the not molt, not layering guitars and punching in and out and just that's a dude going for it and and yeah. chopping and 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 flawlessly playing those songs you're not piecing songs together like bands can do now if you mess up one rhythm of one measure you can fix it with a click of a mouse so that was not happening back then yeah and you have uh yeah between him and mustaine uh really inventing a whole style of playing guitar almost unwittingly yeah. 
you know i'm sure they didn't think we're inventing something but they were right crazy. right absolutely yeah. absolutely and of course as a drummer uh you know one of the things that's often said about lars that i wholeheartedly agree with and i actually saw a, a recent interview where he said this himself in, in so many words regardless of what you think about his ability you know there's something about his swing his feel his groove that he is the best drummer for metallica that's kind of where i stand on that and you know uh it's a that's an awesome uh way to put it very interesting very honest very accurate because can you imagine if there was a super technical gurjira or a Gene Hoagland or a Psychroptic drummer trying yeah. to do crazy shit, it might not it might not have captured us. Right. Lars Lars was there and you know he 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 put the drums that were exactly needed for those songs. And that's early heavy metal, man. You know, that's our early yeah. heavy metal. It was not it was not going to be the most technical shit and crazy blast beats or fucking quads and ridiculous drum fills. It's, it's, it's fucking primitive heavy metal that the, 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 the ability compared to the passion, the passion just took over and he, he was, he was Metallica and still is Metallica. You can tell he is a driving force Absolutely. and uh, every, every second that, and every move they make, we know that uh, Lars is, is, is right behind it. And um, that, that's, that says a lot, you know, because um, like you said, even if it was his words or not, that, that is a very accurate way to put it, that he put the drums, what was needed for Metallica songs. Yeah. And he still does. Yeah, there was a an interview that he did recently. They got, you know, clickbaited by one of the metal sites recently. But the context of the conversation is they were talking about the Taylor Hawkins tribute show. And something came up about, you know, Alex Alex Lifeson and Getty Lee. And then the interviewer asked, uh, you know, if you had the opportunity to play Rush songs with those guys, you know, would you? And and he was like, I that's not my wheelhouse he was like that you know he's like i mean sure i love rush i'd love to try it would take a lot of practice and it wouldn't really be the right thing he's like he's like you know he's like now doing acdc songs with the foo fighters and brian johnson singing which is what he did he's like that's my wheelhouse that's the, my yeah. pocket he's like i'm very comfortable playing and of course it got you know it got turned into a headline that was like lars said he would play with rush if it took a, if he practiced a lot or it like totally got twisted into you know not what he was saying at all of course but um but yeah i've always appreciated that about the the, the feel and everything and, and also in terms of drum licks you know for all of the amazing metal drummers across all the different subgenres that we can sit here and name and you know love and respect all of them there are very few and lars is among them where you know, there's a lot of songs that if you were to cover a song, right, as long as the vocal is the same and the rhythm guitar part is the same, that's the song. And the drums can kind of, you know, if it's if it's the right tempo, the fills can kind of be whatever they're going to be. And there's a lot of those Metallica songs, man, where if, if it's not that exact fill, if it's not that exact part, it's not that it's not that song. Yeah. Just, yeah. And it, that just goes to it just goes to show back to what we were just talking about, how he, his brain knew what to do for that individual song to make it 100 percent Metallica. And a, a big fancy fill might have been super fancy, forgettable. And right. instead, right. instead, he put down those those drums that we all we all know those drums. We can all turn on a song and sit in the back of the bus and guarantee we all air drum and we do every fill perfect. Exactly. Exactly. We'll yeah. All do it perfect. And we can be laughing about it and like almost talking and half paying attention to the song and still know when the song is about to have that drum fill. And uh, that's, that's great songwriting. There's no two ways around it. Agreed. So as you're uh, developing, you know, your own band and, and obviously, uh, you know, there's other stuff happening in the eighties and you're discovering more and more bands. Where did Metallica, uh, I guess, travel with you on, on that journey, right? Like getting into, you know, obviously ride the lightning was the next record. 
where were you at in your life and career when that when that came out and was that like a get to the record store on release day kind of thing yeah of course it was i mean you know again young youngest brother of the family john was older than i was uh trevor was more of a beg his mom to take him to the record store to go buy the new albums when they would come out i was kind of uh i don't even know how to describe it i just was so into everything else bicycles sports i played three different sports at one time like i just was a super wow. hyper, hyperactive super non-stop kid so I, I was not the one to uh, have the money to go ride my bike down to the local music store. Instead, it always happened to show up, and I never necessarily owned it. It was always just us. Around, yeah. <laughs> it was either my brother's, it was my brother's turntable, or it was Trevor's turntable when we were discovering those new albums. And, and again, because of how long Obituary has been around and because of my age, it was in real time. I, I remember, I remember when Ride the Lightning came out, you know, and, and, and seeing it, uh, an ad in the magazine and just going, oh my God, look at that. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. And then when you hear it, you know, it's just ridiculous and just fantastic. And just, again, songwriting, James's voice and Cliff's bass playing is just, you can't top that. It's almost like a different band at that point, too, when you think about it in the context of history, because I, I've often thought if Kill 'em All existed in a vacuum, if they'd only made that record and then split up, that would be this really cool sort of, you know, cult collector item, crazy band. Uh, but it was really Ride the Lightning, I think, that set the template then more so for what came afterwards, you know, in terms of like the epic songs, and the mid-tempo stuff and our first Metallica ballad and uh i mean you could you could call anesthesia an instrumental i suppose but uh you know call of cthulhu being like a real full-blown instrumental epic uh, i feel like a lot of that stuff really got solidified and and you know uh it's almost more of a blueprint than the first album in a way yeah i mean again they were they were pushing forward they were probably learning as they went like you said with Dave and with James, they probably didn't even know it. They didn't had no idea they were breaking such ground and and teaching so many of us young musicians how to do it and how to do it with fucking pure brutalness and passion and confidence and execution. And that's just that's that's just a, a compliment and a. Uh, um, just an amazing, just an amazing thing that was, was happening at that, at that time, you know, uh, at that year, yeah. I'm not sure what time, what year Ride the Lightning came out. But I but, mean, it's right there contemporaneous with, uh, well, I guess it would be Executioner at that point, right? Yeah. What year was the Ride the um, Lightning album out? 84. Wow. Yeah. July 27th. 84. So God, again, just, that's literally right. That's the year that you guys started, right? That is, <laughs> yeah. yeah, again, that is us still holding broomsticks, jumping around <laughs> on our beds going, yeah. I know what I want to be. I gave, I'm giving up everything. I don't want to be in school anymore. <laughs> I, just, I don't want to be on a soccer team anymore. I want to play music. I want drums. I Drums are already a part of my life, but now I know what I really want. I want to be in a band. Yeah, I want to write. I want to write music, and I know I could do it. I and he's showing me, and he's proving to me that, um, just do it, just go for it. And uh, that, that's you know that's kind of what I remember. You know, not and not to mention just the epic, just ride the lightning, just how epic, just how killer of a record. You know, Kill 'Em All was just a lightning bolt that zapped us all, and we were just like, holy shit! But yeah. then ride the lightning just it just solidified everything it absolutely brought home the, the the idea that metallica is an amazing band writing these songs that we all want and we wish we had and we wish we wrote mm -hmm. and uh just just awesome i mean we're lucky we're just lucky we're lucky as uh, i'm very lucky as a drummer that in 1983 and 1984 those 
gifts. Those gifts were given to me when I was going, what am I going to do? And we're, right. we, we entered the studio in 85. So in 1984, I was already writing. We already had eight songs and they were crap <laughs> when, <laughs> compared, compared to once you heard Kill Em All, once you got your hands on Ride the Lightning, you're just like, wow, I'm just a child. And I was, but it also just said, you're doing the right thing. Go yeah. have fun. Go kick ass in the studio and write those dumbass songs. also sort of said, like, this is possible. Like, this is a thing pe- so other people are doing. You can do it. You know? <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> exactly. And it, it was. It's a good, two good, great gifts, books, teachings of just how to do it and how to do it right and how to, how to make it killer. And then by the time Puppets comes out in 86, uh, Executioner was actually making demos. Like, you had... You were you recording? <laughs> You've done stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. We we already released uh, in '85. We had already released the demo and a 33-inch vinyl. And uh, by the time Puppets came out, we were already writing "Solely We Rot." Yeah, um, and getting ready crazy. to enter this, getting ready to enter the studio. So again, they were again just our godfathers showing us the light, showing that. Uh, you can be this goddamn good, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, as a drummer that wanted to do this as a career, I, I, uh, I, I studied every millisecond of Master of Puppets. It's their best album. Um, not saying that Kill em All or Ride the Lightning aren't great. They're non great. But Master of Puppets was something that crushed everything. It was the mega of all mega it, it for me i i couldn't believe it it's it was the rain and blood of slayer it was yeah. it was the heaviest most fucking impressive dominating crushing album i had ever heard and isn't it crazy to think that uh <laughs> i mean you mentioned rain and blood to think that rain and blood master of puppets Peace sells, uh, darkness descends. Uh, I mean, I know it's easy to get, you know, stuck in nostalgia given our our, our yeah. generation, our age, and everything. But it really does seem undeniable in the context of history that '86 was just an insane year for extreme metal. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the number of and records. You wonder '86. You just wonder how that happened. You know, you wonder how yeah. it happened. Why did it happen? There's, you know, there's, there's definitely coincidence that it just so happened to be that all them dudes were just about the same age. They had the same yeah. drive. They had the same influences. They had Tony Wyoming in, in their in their past and, they, and Sabbath and just they know what Iron Maiden was all about. How epic you can make shit. But then you do. Then you have Slayer and 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 Metallica putting out this shit that that they just had a chip on their shoulder and they, they fucking upped the ante big time for me anyway, as a metalhead. I just pulled up my list. Uh, cause it's, it, it's always too many to remember cause it's so many insane records. So 86 is peace cells, puppets, rain and blood, uh, King diamond, fatal portrait, uh, dark angel, darkness descends, uh, the first candle mass record, Epicus, Dumicus, Metallicus, uh, Sepultura, Morbid Visions, uh, Nuclear Assault, Game Over, Destruction, Eternal Devastation, St. Vitus, Born Too Late, Chrome Bags, Age of Coral, Sabotage. I know you're Sabotage fans. Fight for the Rock was that year. I mean, Possessed Beyond the Gates. <laughs> that's all, like, yeah. It's insane to think about that. That's all. That was all happening at the same time. And and uh, yeah, you know, we could we couldn't have known that that how uh, unusual it was because. Just seem normal then yeah and can you imagine back then if there were uh if there was internet and if there were smartphones and uh if we had all the information that flows through our brains while staring at these phones of ours just how overwhelmed we would have been but instead yeah. you run and you uh act like you're at the circle case uh convenience store like you're gonna buy something but you're just standing in the corner just looking at the magazine until yeah. the guy goes, <clears throat> you going to buy that? And you're like, no, I ain't got the money. <laughs> and then oh, man, that was my life. I would, dude, I was the king. I think that's a big part 
of how I ended up a journalist is I would go, uh, we had a, a record store in Indiana called Karma Records and I would go to Karma Records and just sit next to the magazine rack and read magazines until they told me I had to go. <laughs> yeah, that was the same thing. Yeah, it was the same thing my brother and I did. It's like, I, I wanted it. I just couldn't, yeah. I couldn't, I didn't have the money. And, uh, but damn it, I wanted to see what was going on inside the magazine. And then just yeah. to get a little knowledge, you know, a little knowledge that a possessed album, you know, or, you know, Slayer. Oh my God, I got to get this. Or we got to go find one of my friends that's got mm -hmm. a car that could take, Let's all put in our money and go buy random blood. You know, I love, I love, I just loved knowing things also and being able to share that with other friends and stuff. Like I, I have two vivid memories uh, from being a kid that related to magazines in that way. One was uh, telling a friend of mine that they were making a new Nightmare on Elm Street that there was going to be a part two because I'd read it, I'd read about it in Fangoria, and my friend was like, "No, they're not. No way." And I was like, no, man, they're making it right now. And he's like, what's it called? And I was like, Freddy's Revenge. And I vividly remember him being like, you're making that up. He's like, that's not <laughs> like the name. He's like, no one calls him Freddy. It's Fred Krueger, you know, uh, <laughs> how long ago it was. And I have a similar memory with a different friend of uh, we had just bought South of Heaven. We'd walked all the way to the record store and pooled our lunch money together to buy a shared copy of South of Heaven and we're walking back with it and I'm telling him on the way back to listen to it I'm like yeah the first song on this album is a slow song and he was like Slayer doesn't write slow songs and I was like <laughs> I read this interview with Carrie King where they were saying like you know how do you top the fastest best speed metal album ever let's throw everyone for a curveball and open with a slow song and he's just like you're full of shit, dude. <laughs> but it was only, I didn't have like secret knowledge. I just read the magazines for yeah. free. But yeah. But yeah. The record store and the, uh, you know, 7 Eleven and stuff, like you said. Yeah. And that, yeah. And that's continued because, yeah, like you said, if, if everyone had had the, had the same access to all the information, it's too much information now, right? Yeah, it is too much. And that, that's what made it so special is that you only, you only got it. You didn't have, you didn't have ads popping up on your, sites that you sit there all your socials and you didn't have it just blasting in your face every 10 seconds and moving the ads out of the way or record labels just blasting shit digitally to you it yeah. just was every now and then man every now and then you're like oh my god another look iron maiden's gonna have an album out next year or you know just a lot of bands but just not a million bands yeah you know yeah and nobody was gonna tell you that uh Darth Vader was Luke's father like four months before Empire Strikes Back came out. <laughs> exactly. Boy, if you could only rewind and just figure out how to not invent the internet or a smartphone, what this world would be like. Oh, man. Uh, for, all, <laughs> for all of its wonders, there's just, there's so much. Uh, yeah, that's a whole yeah. other conversation. <laughs> uh, indeed. Yeah and, you meant, yeah, and you mentioned Maiden, of course. Yeah, Somewhere in Time was that year. And it, it's also... Somewhere in Time and Seventh Son are records that I love. And it's just, that's another kind of time, place, and circumstance thing where I remember when those records were coming out, people were kind of like, ah, oh, Maiden sort of, eh, I'm not that, not that excited by these Maiden records. And, you know, now with, with some time passing, it's like, those are fucking classics, just yeah, like well, every yeah. other Maiden record was, you know? Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm a drummer mind. I'm a drummer, I'm a, I'm a drummer brain, so for people to say it's not whatever it just not just his drumming because he's fucking great but just this the tone the drum sound his toms he, he's a also a classic example of playing the exact thing you need to play for that song yeah. you don't need any more you don't need more than that you don't need any less it, he he just he just made those songs iron maiden and it would yeah. not have been the same without him doing what he did and that, again just beautiful drum tones on, on iron maiden records as a drummer brain, drummer ears. I feel like between him and Dave Lombardo, those are like the two guys that own the ride symbol. <laughs> two different yeah. things that they do with it, right? But it's like, yeah. they were just like, this, I'm going to make this going to be mine. Yeah, absolutely. Signature. You know, obviously we're, we're getting into contemporary timeline with obituary. I, I, I have sort of a, a distinctive memory because I'm, and you and I had spoken about this before, but when Slowly We Rock came out, I was in high school and was, you know, full on metal and had been into metal for a few years. And 
have my, my group of metal friends. And I definitely remember that it was around that time, you know, 89, 90, 91, when all of my friends, you know, where we'd grown up really into thrash metal together, all most of the, almost all of them got really into death metal, but to a point where it was even, you know, thrash metal became like passe, you know, to most of them where it was like, ah, I, you know, I don't really listen to that stuff anymore. Like now I listen to Morbid Angel and I listen to you know, Obituary and, uh, you know, um, like it was always sort of that what's next, you know, like what, okay, well, what's, what's heavier? What's going to be, okay, that's brutal. What's more brutal? What's going to be, you know, yeah. so where, you know, as far as, you know, for you as someone who was living in it and creating it and part of this burgeoning new subgenre that was every bit as exciting as thrash when that was new, uh, and I know we talked about this a little bit before too, like you, you just like Hetfield and Mustaine and all those guys in the early eighties, I think in the late eighties, you didn't necessarily have a sense that like, Oh, we're all collectively creating an, another new genre. Right? Yeah. And we're just trying to make the best heavy obituary. Yeah. You make. yeah. Head down, head down, pushing forward, you know, especially as young, again, I'm the youngest in the band, the youngest of four children. I just had, that was kind of my, my brain anyway even in just in life just you know playing sports or just playing with my friends i i didn't really you know music what we were trying to do we weren't sitting there going we're making history here or we need to make history or we're good but we're not great yet we were just we were like what can we do man like i need a drum set i need a you know i need another cymbal this one's cracked where you you know what can we do how do how do we open for nasty savage and what you know we're just we're just trying everything you possibly can we were not going this is incredible we're a part of a scene that's going to make history <laughs> right. Not, not, right not once in an obituary's mind anyway yeah we didn't know if we were going to make a second record we just knew that we were stoked on the songs we had ready for slow rot and when it released we just we just drove forward, just pushed forward and didn't really even wonder what was going on around us, especially yeah. like what was going on in Europe or even West Coast America. We, did, we didn't have any idea, nor did I care. I just was so excited about myself, my band, me, me, me. I was a hyperactive, selfish drummer that just really was so into what we were doing that it didn't matter what was going on around me, whether it was Tampa Bay or you know the west coast you know it just yeah. it was uh it was going on and i kind of knew it but again the youngest in the band just the one that was really driving us i just was i was so eager to just become a better drummer let's write another song let's just die uh, so excited about just the idea of a new riff or a new guitar riff or a new drum beat or a new you know just new opportunity that's really all i was doing we never were we were never that band thinking we were etching our name, especially us in, in, in history, you know? So Tampa, while it's certainly not nowhere, it also isn't, you know, New York or LA or London, what sort of shows were you getting and, and, and what part of that, you know, the eighties specifically, those like really formative years, because obviously you also get really busy with your own band and especially once you start touring and stuff like that you're not seeing as much yeah how much was the show going experience and also there's the economic the barrier to entry to shows literally um yeah. how much was the was show going part of your formative well that's what again it, it's funny because it goes back to the innocent times of the 80s where we were too young to think we we're gonna and too stupid <laughs> to think we're going to get a uh, record deal and go on tour and, and load up a whatever the hell vehicle we would have and think we're going to go do shows. It was so innocent back then. And we were so young, but we were also so driven that what would we do? We're playing pool parties. We're playing a, a, a neighbor when her, when she says, Hey, my parents are out of town till Monday. We're like, well, guess what? <laughs> you're, 
your backyard tonight is going to be <laughs> an executioner. Uh, yeah. And we only know seven songs. So we're going to play those songs and then we're probably going to play them again. Yeah. yeah I was gonna say, if there's an encore, we'll probably just start over. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. That was it. We would, we, we, <laughs> we would play a sabotage songs, some Slayer songs. And then uh, if everybody was drunk enough, uh, we would just play them again. And everybody was cool with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but that, that just goes again, it goes back to the, the root of how, how, how young we started as, as teenagers and the year, you know, you're talking about 80, 84, 85, we were already riding our, you know, r with our bicycles, riding our amplifiers and, you know, stealing shit from construction sites to go build a state, build a, a drum riser in my friend's backyard for a party that we actually did. And, you know, we only knew seven songs, but we were going for it. You know, <laughs> we were absolutely driven out of our minds not you know and then and then of course because the scene started exploding um right then in 86 87 that's when we were the opportunity was there because our the the popularity started happening and um so then yes then we saw that sabotage is playing around tampa bay area and central florida and nasty savage was playing shows right down at these pubs that were near us and we could actually have possibility of getting in there and just get to their house and kind of beg them two days before the show. Hey, how about, how about letting us open up for you guys? And we had those opportunities and it was awesome. And I was so young that we knew better. Uh, I, I, I couldn't get into a bar. I, there's no way that the, the bouncer at the front door is going to let me in. So <laughs> one of us could, so one of us with a fake ID got in and I would just go around to the back and they would let me in the back door. And that's how we did a lot of our early shows for, with, with Sabotage or, or you know, ma mainly with Nasty Savage and with Chuck, with Death, you know, just playing shows with him. I was still so young yeah. that uh, I, I didn't even have a, a, a driver's license yet. You know, my brother was the one with the station wagon, my mom's station wagon, that we would load everything up and the whole band would cram in there and make our way down to Ruby's Pub or to Sunset Club and, you know, the Brass Mug and just all the classic tampa bay bars and uh we would just go for it and have the opportunity and that's where it started that's where we got the we got the opportunity and the, and the, then the then the blood flow then we were like this is awesome i'm never not doing this this is part of my life now whether my mom realizes it yet or not <laughs> <laughs> she'll come around eventually it won't always be a bar mom don't worry yeah <laughs> Um, and then as far as like the tours that were coming through and, uh, you know, the bigger metal tours, the more mid-tier bands, the underground stuff, were you able to get out and see much? And, and, and was, I imagine Tampa wasn't getting as, there wasn't yeah. always a Tampa tour date when you see. Yeah, the it wasn't, there wasn't much coming through, you know, I, you know, again, early on with 86 or so, you know, I, re I remember obviously seeing, and this always was a car drive trying to get to another town, but always seeing. When Iron Maiden would come through, Dio came through on a Last in Line, I think, Last in Line uh, tour. That 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 was a breaking point for me, where I was like, "This is the coolest, this is the coolest experience I've ever had in my life." Ted Nugent um, came through, was absolutely awesome. Twisted Sister blew us away. We we're like, "This is the coolest shit." I mean, what what the hell's going on here, man? This dude's got on shoulder pads. He looks like he's seven foot fucking tall. He's got a fence behind him. And this drummer looks like he's going to fucking eat you if you get too close. It was the coolest shit in the world, yeah. you know? And then, uh, and like, I didn't get to see Slayer, like, at an early age. I didn't get to see Slayer when I was super young. I can't even remember when I got to actually see them. I think it was uh, more more around 88 or so that yeah, I was able to. First time, yeah. Yeah, that they actually made it to Florida, and I saw them down in Ebor City. I think at the Ritz, and it was fucking awesome. I almost want to say that they were with, and I could actually could be wrong. Actually, I don't have a great memory, but I almost, I kind of almost pictured them opening for Rage Against the Machine, but I might be wrong. Yeah, that I, I might have been, been just that would have been later. I because Rage was like ninety two. Uh, yeah, so but yeah, so I saw I saw them in eighty eight, and it was it was Slayer Motorhead. Oh no, maybe wait, that was a. I can't remember who the hell they came with, but it was another big band that you wouldn't have guessed that they toured with Beastie Boys or somebody. I was like, this is, this is a, uh, and I was so young. I was probably yeah. 16, 16 year old kid in the back of my brother's car, you know. Did you get to see Metallica on any of those first three records? I saw Metallica at Tampa Stadium where the Buccaneers play at the, uh, you know, the epic, uh, 
Clash of the Titans, I think it was. Yeah, well, with, with, with Van Halen. With Van Halen, yeah, that was the first Van time I saw him too. It was, was... Uh, it was Van Halen, Scorpions, Dawkins, Metallica, Kingdom Come. Yeah, Metallica was second of five, which is insane to think about now. And that that is insane. And yeah. um, yeah, man, I was I was there, Tampa Stadium, where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play, and um, that was again one of those eye opening experiences where like fucking stadium like yeah. like heavy metal heavy metal rules i mean look at how many people agree with me that this is the coolest music there is on the planet <laughs> yeah yeah and I, i've told this on the podcast before so i won't go too far into it but suffice it to say that now in 2022 i love scorpions i love van halen even with sammy hagar i love sammy hagar van halen uh without reservation but at the time i was such a diehard thrash metal guy that my friend and i went in our metallica shirts we stood with our middle fingers up during all of kingdom come <laughs> watched metallica and we went home it was <laughs> still it was still daytime when we got out because we were like talking scorpions van halen that's all poser shit so hairspray <laughs> and spandex i want to see metallica get the fuck out of there yeah uh, man but uh, yeah, I mean, what an amazing tour and a show. And it was also, again, in those days of pre-social media and pre-internet. And of course, Metallica wasn't like a radio or MTV band. I mean, that was the first time I heard Harvester of Sorrow because it was shortly before the record was out. And it was like yeah. a new song. They're playing a new song. This is crazy, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that, you know, the, again, that that what album, what album is that? That's that, the, was, um, that was justice, justice, and that, that's the one. That's the one I believe. When there's conversations with my friends, is um, we all agree the song. The songs are killer. You can't deny heart, heart, yeah, You can't deny those songs. I liked the the drum production, and some some of my friends absolutely hate it. Yeah, and I just yeah. it, it's I also different. like it, and I know people that absolutely hated it. <laughs> absolutely, and it, it, there is something there is something weird about it. It makes you feel like you just got out of a swimming pool, and your ears are a little <laughs> bit off. And I get that, but there's maybe maybe because I loved the record, maybe because I loved the drumming on it, and maybe because it fit the production of the guitars and stuff. Yeah, I just thought it was killer. I just I had no problem with that. Um, I'm not a dude to argue with friends again and again, night after night about productions. It's just like, trust me, I, I've, I've heard the, the reviews of our productions over the years. So it, it you can disagree, you can agree, you can <laughs> agree to disagree, but I liked it. And uh, it's funny that a lot of people or some people just thought it was a bad production and it, it was a different production, but there's nothing bad about it. No, and there's nothing that sounds like it before or since. You know, it's right. very cold. It's very metallic. It's very uh, yeah. almost distant. It, it and it, yeah. you know, and you could definitely draw a line from how Injustice for All sounds all the way up through. You know, when you get into your Fear Factories and Mashugas and like that. You know, I feel like that was really kind of a blueprint for that yeah. genre of metal. You know, yeah, um, the sort of clickiness and. Um, yeah, I yeah. love it. And it was also a real natural kind of pulling back of the rubber band that And Justice for All was so technical and so almost mechanical in feel that then the Black Album was just opened up, big ACDC, Led Zeppelin, yeah. you know, um, just kind of going the, the other way. It was sort of like, all right, we've gone as far as we can go with that. Now we're yeah. Gonna- go this other route and it's like it eventually you know in another 10 years it all kind of came back around full circle um do you remember obviously the black album was like a a controversial thing in metal circles uh went on to be the you know nielsen sound scan began in march of 1991 and the black album remains the biggest selling album of the nielsen sound scan era which is just insane uh, you know, I think it's 16 million around the world, 11 something million in, in America. But of course, in our little bubble of of the heavy metal or extreme heavy metal community, as larger than life and huge as that album was, I remember it was like, you know, so many diehards of the day were like, this, you know, they sold out. Yeah. You know, all the same kind of tired. Do you remember yeah, what the I mean, environment was with your circle and what kind of stuff you were hearing? 
I don't, I mean, it, it, uh, my circle is extremely small. It's like half. It's like me and my brother. <laughs> <laughs> so Black yeah. Album, the Black Album for me was, it was killer. It was just, yeah. it was, again, good, good, it's Metallica songs. They're, you know, if you're a Metallica fan, you absolutely, absolutely worshipped it. Mm-hmm. But the production was killer. It's insane. Those you ones... cannot deny it. It may be the best selling, best, excuse me, the best sounding record ever in terms of yeah. rock records. It's, I mean, it's, it's the, sound. it's the, it's the album where you hear sound guys when they check PA systems yeah. before sound check, they will put on one of those songs to make sure that the PA system in the venue is working properly. Yeah. That tells you something because yeah. uh, a Pantera album, you would not do that with. Um, not saying anything about Pantera, one of yeah, my favorite Pantera. bands in the in the world. Uh, but you wouldn't do that with Cowboys from Hell. You would do that with the Black Album because that is going to show you are all the fucking subs working properly? Are they crossed over correctly? Are everything hanging? Is it working? And uh, that's what um, our British sound guy, um, Dave Nichols, his name was uh, Dave Nichols, and we called him Big Shirt. Yeah. He would uh, he he would EQ the PA with with the Black Album. And when you would walk into the venue, you just, you're just like, oh my God, what a production, man. Just what a fucking killer kick drum. And uh, what do you get? What else can you say besides that's just, there's a reason why that is the biggest selling, uh, most uh, accomplished album on the planet for, for, for metal, you know? Yeah. Well-deserved. Yeah, I think about this anecdote when when thinking about the Black Album. Uh, my buddy uh, Cece, the drummer of the band Blackville Brides, they did an album with Bob Rock, and his first conversation with Bob, which was like a you know new producer drummer having a convo, he's like, "So what kind of, you know, what are some references? What are what are some records you like? What are what are drum sounds that are kind of in your wheelhouse?" And Cece was like, "Uh, the Black Album, <laughs> <He's> like, <you laughs> know, just, whatever you did there." <laughs> push that button <laughs> be good <laughs> yeah that's it yeah. bring up that mix and i'll be happy <laughs> yeah the gold standard and then i would imagine that you and your brother you would have a different take on the sort of mid-90s late 90s metallica of the load reload era and it's you know taking the haircuts ooh, the haircuts and the album artwork and all that outside of it you know, given how much Southern rock is in your DNA and how much swing there is in obituary, the death metal band yeah. swing. Um, I would, I would guess that your take on those records would be a little different than, you know, a lot of the, a lot of people that just didn't get it. Cause to me, those records are like Metallica plus thin Lizzie and Alice in Chains and yeah, you know, just more kind of groovy Southern sort of stuff in there. You know? Yeah. And <clears throat> if you're a Metallica fan, you uh you wait for your you wait for your band that you love to put a record out and you know what to expect it's metallica and then when it changes it up a little bit and it's uh it's more southern feeling or whatever you want to call it uh you know it wasn't going to go more towards technical and fast and speed and thrashing double bass you knew it wasn't going to go that way and and if you heard the new metallica and you were surprised by that um, then, then you're an idiot, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, they, they, they did what they were going to do, which was they were progressing forward. They, uh, they knew what they, obviously the direction that they had come from, they proved themselves more than proved themselves on those first uh, many, many records to where nothing more to prove. Now let's have some fun. Yeah. And let's do some shit that we want to we want to have fun with. And when you do that, there's where you're going to get those, you know, the mean, the mean metalheads. Why would you do something like that? Yeah. You know what? Because we're humans, we're we're Metallica and we don't have to answer anyone's fucking call. You know, we're just we we are who we are and and we're doing it the way we want to do it. You know, and what else can you say, man? It, it, again, uh, it, it, had they had they sat in a studio and tried to write to to please those fans that are waiting for, I want kill them all times five, you know, and just give me give me more fucking trapped under ice. They they did that already. Yeah, and, and, and it's you know, still there. Technically- you can still you can still listen to it. No one took it away can, from it. 
there you go. No one took it away from you. And for God's sakes, these dudes, they taught us uh, in 1982 what the hell was real men, what real men really did uh, in the studio with, with those first few albums. So now whatever they're doing, man, hey, more power to them. They're, they're the biggest yeah. band in the world. And uh, who's to say that it's wrong? You know, there's you're when you're that humongous and that popular, and that famous, you're going to get the people that absolutely love it. And then you're going to get those people that have nothing better to do, but just say, I wish it was this. And I wish it was that, you know, but it's Metallica, you know, it's like sports. I, I figured out at some point where it's like, you love your team and you may not love the coach that season, or you may be unhappy with the quarterback, but it's still your team and you let you love your team, you know? And I think a lot of people, even when they're hating, don't really realize that it's like, you're still having the conversation, man. The fact that you're, paying attention every time they do something right how many bands do you dislike or used to like or whatever that you don't pay attention when they do new things and you don't have an opinion about it and that to me says a lot but i i think and this is probably a great place to land the plane i think something that has been a, a through line through every era of metallica that i think also unites metallica with bands like obituary is that they have always consistently done what they wanted to do first. They make the records that they like, that please them. And then the idea is like, Hey, it's, we're welcoming. If, if you like this also, great. Everybody's invited, but we're making what we want first. And I think that, you know, you could say absolutely the same with obituary. I mean, you don't, you don't call your band obituary and sound like obituary. If the idea is like, how big can we get? It's like, no, no, no. How can you make what you want to make and hey yeah. people like it great but you're making a record yeah. to listen to first yeah and that they're making music that they uh, that they're creating that they believe in that they feel is uh is right and what they like and their their fans um will uh understand that maybe all of them won't love it certain albums certain releases but you're doing what you want to do and you're doing what you are, are having fun with. I mean, what are you going to do? Be miserable and just try your hardest to please those fans that are angry at you anyway. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, they, they seem to know how to just move, move forward through dominating this world of metal and, uh, not, and, and just like a fucking duck's back, let, let the water fall off of all the people that are just, you know, it should have been this and you should stick with the old, school this i mean how many fans are chanting shit at our shows that they wish we were still playing fucking all old songs and only old songs and you know that you you still have to you still have to and you really want to move forward as a musician you know when you have a new album out you yes you're wanting to please everybody at that show but you're so you're so into that what you're into right now, man, it's your new music. Those first, those last couple of records are so still important to the band members that yes, we know that kill them all and ride the lightning and master of puppets is like what everyone is, um, why you're here. Cause we all grew up to that. And at a certain point, you still got to move forward and you gotta, you gotta do some, whatever you do, man, whatever makes you fucking happy and you're having a good time doing it is, uh, is really the reason about being in a band, no matter how poor you are uh, as a band struggling or as, as successful as you are as a band that's on the top of the world, you still want to do something that makes you pleased and, and, uh, and happy. Oh yeah. And uh, I think that that is, you know, of the many lessons in many different directions that the band has, has passed on to the rest of the metal community. I think that's, that's the biggest one, you know, and, and I think fans should remember, we would all do well to remember that every classic record that we love from every, every band was at one point, the new stuff. (laughs) There was a, there was a moment, there was a moment when they were out playing ride the lightning and everybody's like, this doesn't sound like kill them all, you know, and that's, that's every band always, you know? Yes, absolutely. That's a true statement. And, and you, you'll never get away from that. And, uh, you know, it's it's a uh, it's kind of you almost need that you almost need the haters so your army of, of of fans will will fight for you if every interview and every person and every fan and every fucking quote that came out was it's the best we love you so much they're the best it's the greatest they're not there's not one thing wrong with them then you wouldn't even have any idea 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, dude, it is absolute pleasure to get to hang out again uh, virtually. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you guys are all, this is the Amon Marth shows you're doing right now, right? This is man. We just we just left Canada. Uh, did one show in Toronto, and last night, uh, night before last, we did Montreal when we played a hockey stadium and with four thousand people sold out. It was so ridiculous. Awesome. It was. It was awesome. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're very proud and honored uh, that those big Viking boys and big brothers of ours uh, invited these old Florida boys to come kick ass with them on stage. And uh, yeah. they're a killer band. They're, near, they're even more killer fucking friends of ours. So having a blast out here. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and what a phenomenal band live. I've gotten to see them a few times. Yeah. So. Yep. yeah. Be well. Say hi to your brother for me. Thanks for joining right me again. And certainly uh, be continued. Yeah, man. Come see us if you're in if you're in California. Come find us for sure. All right, brother.